I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. The discussion I'm sharing with you today is from all the way back in September, when I sat down with my friend Chrissy. We've known each other through Tumblr for a good four or five years now, and it was marvelous to finally get to join them for a spoken conversation. Chrissy re-solidified my hope that there is good news for the oppressed in the Christian faith, They reminded me that queerness is all about solidarity among the people that the world calls dishonorable, and that both Christianity and queer solidarity should center around ensuring that everyone is free for life abundant. I am beyond thankful for all the good work that Chrissy does in so many different spheres, from social justice organizing, to sharing insights on Tumblr, to serving as a chaplain for traumatized youth and leading a small congregation and living out God's love in the world. I'm glad they were willing to come on the show and talk about all that so you can hear about it too. Please do be aware that our conversation includes mentioning instances of homophobia and transphobia, including mentions of hurtful words used against the LGBT community. We also talk a bit about how the closet can be a stifling tomb for many. But of course we don't close with death or pain, we talk about what it is to be brought to life by embracing one's true self and finding community. So let's dive in right after you hear from another show on the Rock Candy Network. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. So I'm Reverend Chris Chrissy Avis Rouse. Um, I am an ordained United Church of Christ pastor uh, for the last 15 years. I live in the St. Louis metro, right in the middle of the country. Um, live on one side of the river and work on the other and uh, serve a small a uh, very queer, very social justice-oriented church right in the heart of the city. Heck yeah. And um, also serve as chaplain at our children's home and work with a lot of really traumatized kids, um, many of whom uh, are wrestling with questions of sexuality and gender identity along with all the other stuff they've got going on in their young lives. Mm. So um, the leadership at the children's home made a decision that they wanted somebody visibly queer in the position to work with these kids. So that was kind of fun uh, for me. Yeah. I interned as a chaplain for a semester in seminary. And for me, navigating how to do gender stuff was kind of complicated. But it sounds like for you, it's almost like part of 
what your ministry there is. So that's really neat. It is. I've I've had to train the administration a little bit. Mm-hmm. They they weren't super cool in the very beginning, even though they were trying. Right. Right. The chief operating officer said something about drag, and I said, "Wait, wait! Oh. This is not a performance. This is my real life." <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so there's that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm oldish. I, I 51 this year, um, and I've uh, been married for 30 years. Have two adult children, and uh, I like boats <laughs> and music. And uh, hope to retire to a boat sooner rather than later. Nice. <laughs> That's a cool dream. I hope you achieve it someday. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and am I right that your spouse is also tra- like some like genderqueer or something? I think I saw that. So my spouse is one of those people who doesn't understand gender at all. The concept of gender makes no sense to her. She uses she, her pronouns. Okay. Um, I primarily use they, them, but what I tell most people is just not he. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, But uh, she does not understand what the big deal is for the rest of us, (laughs) especially those of us who suffer because of gender. Okay. She doesn't get that. It doesn't make any sense. And and the, the struggle to sort of find where I fit, like drove her bonkers because it just didn't make any sense to her. It's like, why do you care? Yeah, like like not in a mean way, just in a, this genuinely is a mystery. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the problem with communication, of course, is when she said, I don't get your gender stuff, uh-huh. I thought she was talking specifically about me. No, she's saying mm-hmm. I don't get gender stuff. Mm-hmm. And once we settled that problem, that communication problem, uh-huh. then things were much easier, honestly. Once I understood that gender means nothing to her, then I was able to explain more carefully why it means something to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like she then at least made the effort to understand why it does matter to you and and many other people. Yeah, and and has even when she didn't really understand, she did her best to be supportive. Mm-hmm. And now that she understands better, uh, you know, we're in a a really healthy place with mutual support and yeah. care. And that's great. So I'm so happy you have that. And then, how are your kids about it? My kids are fantastic. They always were. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, we brought them up right. <laughs> yeah, that makes it easier. <laughs> but also, they're they're in that that generation that you know grew up online and and grew up with some images of people performing masculinity differently, mm-hmm. right? Blues Clues was super important to my kids growing up, uh-huh. and I enjoyed it, and I loved Steve. Um, Steve's masculinity mm. is soft, right, yes. and gentle and caring and kind, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of images my kids grew up with. Mm-hmm. It's it's the way I've always been, so there was no disconnect for them. And then when I, you know when I started pushing a little and changing up clothes you know they uh they didn't seem to have a problem with it ever okay 
it's it's cool that there are those role models out there like Steve. <laughs> yes. Now I grew up with Mr. Rogers. Nice. And yeah. and I remember people, you know, making fun of him. Oh really? Oh. Oh yeah. Oh, in the middle seventies, there were people calling Mr. Rogers a sissy. Of course. Yeah. Which is the very first thing I ever remember being called and I never understood it mm -hmm, <laughs> until mm -hmm. it was much, much later. Oh well. Well, I'm glad that you've got your, your family support and, and your church too. Yeah. So what is sort of your, your church life like at, at your like individual congregation and then potentially the UCC as a whole? Sure. So for those that don't know the UCC, we are a huge umbrella. Because we're a merger church, because we're congregational polity, which means that every congregation is autonomous and equal to every other instance of the church, including our general church offices. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no hierarchy. We exist in this web of covenants where we all relate to each other and are responsible to each other, but we all speak for ourselves and make our own decisions. So you've got churches that are still very homophobic, transphobic, and even a little racist. Okay. And then you've got churches at the opposite end of the spectrum that are open and affirming, mm -hmm. anti-racist, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, the one we're working on now and have been actually for a while is Wise for Mental Health Congregations, mm -hmm. where we are working on being better able to serve and serve with people uh, who deal with mental illness or neurodivergence. Um, and that really, that really started, I don't know if you remember our commercials back in the 90s. No, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, we had one that was this big cathedral-looking church, and they had ejector pews. Okay. And so the lady with the crying baby got ejected, and the smelly homeless person got ejected. Oh, no. And a couple got ejected, and then everybody's looking around like, oh, my God, will it be me next, right? Mm, gotcha, yeah. And really, that, that ad was targeting queer folks, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least we thought it was. Mm -hmm. The people who responded most strongly to that commercial mm -hmm. Parents of autistic children. Yeah. yeah. Who felt like their kids had been excluded and pushed out of other churches. Yes. Yeah. And so that really pushed us to step up our game and learn how to be better at greeting people who needed a place to be and giving them the care and the inclusion that they deserve. So uh, it's fun to be part of that, right? Yeah. So I came to the church I'm at now about two years ago from 13 years as the Associate for Youth and Family Ministries at a large-ish, fairly conservative suburban church where I had to be pretty carefully closeted yeah, and where I had parents who would get upset if I posted that gay stuff on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I really started this journey while I was in seminary, this gender exploration and finding how I fit and where I fit kind of thing. I was telling a story in a class, uh, in a small group, about going to 
therapy as a sixth grader. So I was getting in fights three times a week and the school district said, look, we're going to expel your kid if you don't get them therapy. So my parents took me to the free clinic. This is in, in Jamaica Plain, Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, took me to the free clinic in the neighborhood. And I got the young uh, psychologist right out of undergrad. Uh-huh. And after about nine months of therapy, he said, I think your problem is you're gay. Yeah. And I laughed and I said, dude, I've had girlfriends since pre-K. I have no interest in boys whatsoever. You're nuts. And I never went back. Uh-huh. Like until I was an older adult, I went back to therapy. But my one of my seminary friends, Jen, who's this very big, very butch, very beautiful person, uh-huh. uh, slugged me in the arm and said, you goof, he was only half wrong. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, do you really think you're a boy? She said, I think you're a lesbian. And I said, okay, that's interesting. We'll have to explore that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really cool, though, that she, like, supported you in, like, in what she saw. I don't know if that makes sense. I have... I have a friend who is also a trans woman who also in seminary started exploring. I don't know. You might have listened to her episode of this podcast. It was like the third episode I did. And when she was in seminary, she told one of her friends who I think was a lesbian that she thought that maybe she was a lesbian, but like a trans lesbian, right? And that person told her like, that's not a thing. You can't be trans, a trans woman and a lesbian. That's like, you like, and so kind of shut her down and kept her from exploring that for like decades. Yeah. So I'm so happy you had that person. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Jen was so funny, would tease me about being, you know, girlier than she was ever going to be. The first time she saw me in a suit when I was getting ready to go meet with conference ministers about search and call stuff, finding a church, Jen called me a drag king. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was fun and 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 wonderful and caring and supportive and. and really started me on this journey. So, you know, I had already been working on things for a while, you know, and near the end of my time at that church, it started to feel very stifling mm-hmm. um, to be so carefully closeted. Yeah. And and in some ways started to feel not like being alive. Mm. Right. Yeah. And. I've really been working on this thing lately with the story where Lazarus has died and Jesus shows up and calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Yes. When Lazarus first comes out of the tomb, somebody's leading him because he's still wrapped up in the grave clothes and he can't see and he's bound, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of us who have been through gender exploration uh, there's a point where we feel that we feel like we're tied up and we can't see a way forward because of the level of cultural expectation, the level of compulsive cis heteronormativity, mm-hmm. right? That we, especially people my generation and older, were raised with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the first time I asked for red tennis shoes, red sneakers. My mom was told that if she bought them for me, I'd turn out gay. Oh, you know. Oh my that gosh. Was, 
like 1975 in Texas, but why? Because you know, like red is too close to pink. Is that <laughs> I? I guess. Wow. Apparently, yeah. the red sneakers were for girls. Now, my mom was one of those people that you didn't ever tell they couldn't do something. <laughs> so I got had sneakers right and the purple bike uh, and somebody should have known something even then well i guess people did because they were calling me sissy and queer and all kinds of things but i mean i guess that person was right the shoes did turn you into a girl apparently <laughs> right <laughs> anyway so yeah so i really feel that you know having been bound and blind to the possibilities and then having those grave clothes stripped away and stepping into this shiny new world of out, open, yeah. can preach and address if I want to. And not only does my congregation support it, but they actively love it. Yes. Um, you know, is, is like that promise Jesus gave that we could have life abundant right here, right now. Yes. Amen. I love that so much. (laughs) And especially like in the Lazarus story that he can't unbind himself. He's been, he's been buried by the world and it's someone from the world, Jesus, his friends who have to help unbind him. Right. um, Help liberate him. Yeah. It sounds like you've had some of those kinds of people in your life. Yeah. And a lot of them on Tumblr and a lot of them, you know, uh, like you, um, who are out here doing the work and and digging into the theology and the biblical stories and saying, yes, we can have life abundant as queer folks and as queer clergy. And yeah, just that idea of when you're in in the closet, when you're bound, sometimes you just get used to it. And so you just, you kind of almost forget that you're you're bound up. But there there comes a point when suddenly it's all you can think about and you just you can't stand it anymore like you said it almost feels like you're not even alive right and and you just kind of reach a breaking point where it's you have to you have to get free and and you know if if you've spent time in the scriptures Mm -hmm. you know if if you're jewish and you've spent time in torah and follow that up with midrash and talmud and and if you're a christian and you've paid attention to jesus message it's all about liberation. Yes, amen. Right? God God set the the universe up for the purpose of freedom. Mm. And we have mucked it up so <laughs> um yes, we have. And so if if our stories and and if our theology is not liberating people, then it's dead. Yes. And and worse than nothing a lot of the time, like I'd rather have no theology, like no sort of faith background at all, than have a faith that tells people that they should accept oppression and imprisonment, right, or submission and obedience, right, and sort of just like ha- forcing you to squeeze your beautiful self into a box. Yeah, you you know the old German style, or the Scots use them too. The high kind of narrow pulpits. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I hate them. Yeah. They're very confining. <laughs> uh-huh. They feel like being put in a box. It's a box on a pedestal, but it's still a box, right? right? 
gender crap is like that too. You mm-hmm. get stuck in that box and it's so confining mm-hmm. and it doesn't fit. And yeah. <laughs> I'm a preacher who likes to move around uh-huh. and pace and talk, but I also like to be down on the floor with the people yeah. and be able to look them in the eye and not be looking down on them because you know, while I have the theological training, I'm not here as, you know, some kind of overlord. I'm right. I'm here as the servant who's bringing you this good news that's supposed to liberate, not supposed to squash you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, when you look at Jesus's ministry, he was right there among the people. Right. So every now and then, sort of at a distance, like he he'd get on a boat so that they wouldn't crush him in some parts. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he was right there with them. But then he's at the lowest level, and they're up the bank and the hillside. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The pulpit is constricting. Gender is super constricting, yep. at least as it's constructed in current Western society. Mm-hmm. Um, I identify as non-binary gender queer and uh definitely like trans feminine but since like i don't i don't do the binary right so i'm not going from the mailbox to the female box right right um and there's nothing wrong with the boxes except uh, there's a song um and i can't remember the artist but they say um I don't mind pink. It's the obligation (laughs) or something like that. It's powerful. I like that. And queer, for our younger listeners, queer was the radical liberationist term from like the late, late 70s through the middle 90s. It was the umbrella under which all of the people who could never be respectable came together, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, kind of chants were huge in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, it's not only a sexual or gender identity, but it's a political identity. Yes. It's saying that we will not rest until everyone's free. Yes. It's saying that we're not going to throw any sibling under the bus. And we're not going to assimilate into power. Black trans sex workers matter as much or maybe more than, you know, wealthy, cis, white gays. Right. Which has been the struggle. Because those who can assimilate, who can be respectable, are so quick to throw the rest of us under the bus. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I just want to say out loud, I very fully embrace that political identity and that liberationist mindset and the notion that we can't stop until everybody's free, yeah. until everybody's safe, until everybody is whole. Yes. And that means we got a whole lot of work to do, friends. Yeah. Stopping when my rights are fulfilled is not enough. Right. I appreciate posts I see you reblog and stuff about, like, just all the, you know, all the discourse about, like, queer is a slur, queer is not, you know, like, all of that, and just... Yeah, I can't with the queer is a slur. Everything they've ever called us is a slur. Right, yeah. You know, I I was probably six the first time somebody called me Chrissy the Sissy. 
Oh, gosh. Of course. Whatever. Anyway, everything they've ever called us is a slur. Everything we've ever reclaimed and said, no, you don't get to use this as a weapon against me. This is my shield. Right. This is my power source. Fairies in boots and leather jackets and pink hair. Uh, <laughs> being radical and kicking ass and Mm -hmm. so uh you can put this in or leave it out i have an appointment uh in not that many days like less than 10 days to talk to a uh, an endocrinologist about uh t blockers and uh targeted estrogen oh cool so yeah, the 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 NB cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um best of luck to you um with that. Thank you. Yeah. It's so weird being non-binary and people sort of asking like like I back before I started testosterone, people would frequently ask me like, "So, when are you going to start transitioning?" as if I hadn't already like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm already gender queer. I'm already who I am. I consider my transition complete, but I'm getting older and testosterone does really, at least to me, icky things to you as you get old. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are things about it that make me, well, that make me dysphoric. And uh, I'm all about the gender euphoria. Yeah. Not so much about this stuff. And so if we can, like, even pull it back a little. Yeah. Um, that would be helpful to me. Yeah. So that's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. And and back to the constricting boxes, you know, trying to pass. Mm-hmm. One of the things about trying to pass as female in Western society is stuffing yourself into a very constricting box all over again. Yes. And um, I'm all about breaking out of the boxes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, while I present femme of center, I am absolutely never going to pass mm-hmm. uh, and don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Sorry, my head is like 90% song lyrics. Um <laughs> Maybe the same song, maybe a different song, but a uh, great trans song says, I'd, I'd rather be visibly trans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, right? I resonate with that. For one thing, I like to screw with the cis people. Yes, yes. Con- confound and confuse. Yeah, keep, them, keep them wondering. Keep them. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. Even while knowing that it is the riskier path in a lot of ways, but it sounds like you and I do too, like find it still worthwhile. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing my spouse fears the most for me mm. is that I yeah. use violence. Uh, yeah. So far, so good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I go out in a dress and my hairy legs and sometimes stubble and um, I get weird looks. But so far, you know, no, no violence. Uh, Good. Yeah. I get weird comments on Tumblr. Um, somebody <laughs> of course. asking me why I didn't work harder to pass. 
And I said, pass as what? I barely pass as human. Um, Non-binary genderqueer. I'm passing just fine as myself, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, people always, like, oh, they're so demanding. They've got to know exactly what's going on all the time. (laughs) Or, or, you know, they have all these expectations that you're going to. I don't believe that even cis women should have to shave their legs to be socially acceptable. Right. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Your body is your body, mm-hmm. and you know if you want to alter it to make yourself feel better, that's fine. But to have to do yeah. it for so you know societal cultural expectations, yeah, like you're saying, we should be seeking liberation for all women, cis, trans, everyone, to not have to do all that crap. <laughs> right, strain yourself to talk like a cartoon character, and you know, okay, I don't love my voice, especially hearing it recorded. But mm. it's my voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when Stephen Hawking was was offered a new computer that sounded more smooth and less computery, and he's like, "Are you kidding? This is my voice. This is how everybody knows me." Yeah, this is this is my brand. It's <laughs> not not changing. But yeah, would you would you be interested in talking a bit more about um, your ministry, like any? specific like things you do projects or if you want to talk more about chaplaincy or any of that sure so the chaplaincy at the children's home a lot of my time is actually spent in activity uh playing playing sports with the kids oh fun (laughs) um but wednesday's chapel day and um we're we're a trauma-informed uh facility which means we give the kids as much choice as we can safely great yeah well of course chapel is one of the things that they can safely choose whether they want to come or not yes yeah yeah so it's always up to them if they show up and and so my job is just to be there and be ready right right and if they show up to provide a service um and and if they don't it's not my problem right uh some sometimes there's things going on in the house and they can't. Sometimes they're short staff and they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever. I work really, really hard at making sure that the message every week is a message that builds these kids up. Yeah. That gives them hope that they're going to be okay. That there is a place for them in the world. Mm-hmm. That uh, they are not defined by what's been done to them or what the world says about them, that they are children of God who are valuable and who matter. And so <laughs> had some problems in the girl's house in the last couple of weeks. And this week I gave them James chapter three mm-hmm. about the tongue and the damage the tongue can do. Fires mm-hmm. the tongue can set with one word. Mm-hmm. But I turned it around, you know, I said, look, the world is doing its best to beat all of you down. Yeah. The world wants to beat everybody down. But if you're a girl or you're a person of color or you're queer or you're neurodivergent, the world is so much harder on you. Mm -hmm. And so we have this responsibility to make sure we're building each other up and not tearing each other down. When you guys are tearing each other down in the house, you're not only making it harder for the other person, you're making it harder for yourself. Yes, yeah. 
And so if you take care of each other and build each other up, you make it easier for yourself mm-hmm. and for the house, right? <laughs> I love I love that you're teaching them solidarity young. <laughs> I love that. Um, so that's the kind of thing I get to do there. And, and it's, um, it's actually really like life giving. I, I mean, yeah. if I could, you know, just serve my church and, and actually make a living at it, right. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, the church can only afford a certain amount, you know, yeah. um, and more than two thirds of my package is eaten up by health insurance. Oh my Thank gosh. you. Capitalist America. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have to have a second job Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this is actually, you know, a very life giving life affirming kind of thing to be doing as my second job. So yeah, my congregation is fantastic. Um, very small, but very, very in the movement. Um, and like every movement Mm -hmm. we've constantly got folks working on anti-racism stuff. Um, we've got members who actually for a living do advocacy and policy work around poverty, around mass incarceration, prison reform, police reform, all of these kind of things. Um, Uh so, and then the folks that, you know, that's not their bag, like to be actually out in the street. Uh Uh-huh in the state house or whatever they're just not comfortable with that Mm -hmm. their role is supporting the folks who do right yes but that's the kind of thing that's constantly going on around here we've got Mm -hmm. um a uh, a mixed jewish palestinian group coming in to talk about what's going on in the middle east in in palestine and israel that's that's really cool so we're we're that congregation right (laughs) (laughs) love it and it's safe to do so. We have a breakfast ministry. We serve about 40 to 60 mostly home or unhoused folks every week, uh, bre- hot breakfast mm-hmm. and fellowship. Um, but since COVID, you know, we can't have them all in the hall together. Yeah. So we've been passing out breakfast to go bags on the sidewalk every week. And that never stops, right? Because the hunger is always there. The need is always there. Yeah. Been sad, no pride. Yeah. Because uh, we're always out um, and very visible and very present with the other open and affirming UCC congregations at Pride. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about this congregation is that when they called me, Sort of part of the the call agreement was we're not looking for somebody to sit in the office 20 hours. Uh-huh. We're looking for somebody to be out in the community doing stuff. So they consider it part of my pastoral duties mm-hmm. when I go over to, say, our Metro Trans Umbrella Group house mm-hmm. and help with the food pantry and the clothes closet and offer pastoral care there to folks that need it. Mm-hmm. They consider it part of my pastoral, you know— duties when I'm working with other congregations in the neighborhood. I did a walk back um, with the local Jobs with Justice for uh, nursing home workers that had done a one-day strike. Mm. So if you don't know what a walk back is, uh, union folks and clergy walk the striking employees back into the workplace Mm. and say to whatever management is there, 
we are returning this worker, we are watching, oh, wow. there will be no retaliation. Wow. So did one of those last week and you know, that's considered part of my pastoral duties. Yeah. That counts that counts as part of my twenty four hours I'm contracted for here. Um wow, that's so cool. And it I mean that absolutely should count. It's so much healthier for a, a congregation to realize that your point as a church is to worship together so that you can move outward into the world and Right. Contrast that with the tomb I came from mm. when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson and the Ferguson uprising. So many of my friends and clergy colleagues were out on the front line of the Ferguson uprising. Yes. And I was told, you can't go. Mm. It will do more damage to this congregation than you will do good. Wow. In, in my conservative suburban congregation, they couldn't handle Black Lives Matter stuff. Right. And... That that hurt just as much as the being closeted stuff hurt because I knew where I needed to be and and I couldn't. Yes. Right. I was told I couldn't. Yeah, you were being sort of prevented from your calling mm-hmm. by your own congregation. Again, that's something else that some of my classmates have talked about is um a lot like a lot of my classmates who are white and are at white majority congregations have found that issue of like people in the congregation t- being like you got to stop actively saying black lives matter and stuff because it's causing disunity in our church right it's just it's it's really terrible how that fear of disunity keeps people from actively seeking justice that needs to be pursued yep what is the point of church <laughs> right if you're not responding to what you learn in church together by going out and doing justice. Right. When Amy Barrett was uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. we uh, held pop-up elopements (laughs) on the steps of City Hall in St. Louis Uh and married about 16 queer couples over the course of two or three days. Love it. That was a, a rotating cast of clergy of a number of denominations, and then also some folks who uh, are um, pagans. Oh, cool! Uh, but who are authorized to to do marriages, and yeah. um, so we covered everybody, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there was anyone who was like, I don't want a Christian pastor doing my wedding, but I'll take the pagan. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, now I'm thinking about the Supreme Court, and I'm just like, oh, Lord. Uh, hot mess. <laughs> it is kind of a, ten, like, um, do you have any sort of, what, anything you do with your congregation or on your own time, like, when when you're disheartened over all the terrible, the terrible mess that humanity has put ourselves into with unjust laws and then just climate change and stuff, how do you encourage yourself or others to keep to keep going? So <laughs> I put on my t-shirt that I bought at Raygun, which if none of if you don't know Raygun, um, look them up on the web. Uh, they're a company out of uh, Cedar Rapids and Iowa City, and they have wonderful, wonderful stuff. I bought a t-shirt from them that says, the moral arc of the universe isn't going to bend itself, so get involved. Yes, amen. <laughs> I pray hard sing loud, 
you know, not only the movement songs, but also uh, sort of our congregational anthem is the hymn, Draw the Circle Wide. Yes, my church loves that one too. So we, we sing that and, uh, and maybe around a joyful, joyful, and then we get right back to work. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing is, you know, I do believe God's promise that we're going to get there. Mm. And it may not happen, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, but there's this wonderful Jewish concept that while you may not complete the work, that does not absolve you from starting the work. Yes. The prophetic poem about preparing the way of the Lord, mm-hmm. you're not responsible for the whole highway. <laughs> yes. Got six inches in front of you mm-hmm. that needs to be made straight, smoothed out, something, right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's writing letters every week to your congressperson or senator, mm-hmm. whether that's actually being out in the street mm-hmm. or signing all the God, I get so many petitions in my email every day. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and, this is a liberal thing, and and I'm so, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't identify as liberal. I'm a radical leftist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same. And sort of the liberal hand wringing and the the email um, subject line that says, "Why won't you sign this petition?" I've already signed four on that topic and <laughs> sent a letter directly to my senators and congressperson. Mm-hmm. And my congressperson's never going to vote the way we want him to. Yes, and my senators yeah. were already on board and were sponsors of, you know, the For the People and uh, all of that stuff. So there's only so much that I can do around that. Right. But there is something you can do. Yes. Yeah. And there's something you can do that's not going to use up all your spoons, that's not going to leave you exhausted and cynical and, you know, bitter. Yeah. But you got to find people. You got to do it in community. Don't sit in your room behind your computer screen or you're going to end up bitter and and cynical and broken. Yeah. The, The joy, the power, the liberation is in the community. Mm hmm. And this is the biblical thing that people miss, especially American Christians with the compartmentalization of life and the the lie, myth, epic saga of the rugged individual self-made, yep. you know, BS. <laughs> we have a God who exists as community within God's self. Yes, amen, amen. Who never, never deals with just an individual. Look at the Exodus. Mm-hmm. God doesn't bring out just the strong, just right. powerful, just the pretty. God brings out the whole people. Yes. And works with the whole community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus speaks to the nations, <laughs> right? Yeah. And says, hey, you know, even if you're from another flock, we love you too. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 There's very, there's every now and then he'll have a one-on-one talk with somebody, but um, it's usually to whole crowds. Yeah. So one, one of my big things, um, and one of the first pieces I wrote on Tumblr that was, that was deep theology, uh, I was asked how I reconcile 
you know, sort of being queer and being Christian clergy. And I talked about life abundant, but I also talked about the story Jesus tells about the man with two sons. Um, most people call this this parable the prodigal son, right? But I call it the man with two sons uh, because both sons are important to the story, right? Yeah. If you don't know the story, Jesus says there was this guy. He had two sons, and the younger son came and he said, basically, Dad, I wish you were dead. <laughs> I want my share of the inheritance now. I don't want to wait. And dad says, okay. And he divides the property. And the next day, the kid goes away to a foreign country. And uh, he's partying it up, living large, and he spends all the cash. And then he's got nothing. And then there's a famine. And, you know, nice Jewish boy, only job he can get is feeding the pigs. And he's hungry. And he's looking at the pig food going, geez, I'd like to eat that. Yeah, looks pretty good right now. <laughs> Then he remembers that his at his dad's house, even the servants eat better than the you know than this. So he decides to go home, and he says, "I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned before you and God, and I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me be your you know your hired servant." So he's on his way, and Dad sees him far off and runs out to greet him. Hold on to that image runs out to greet him, hugs him, kisses him, calls the servants, put a ring and a clean robe and fresh sandals on him, and kill the fatted calf. We need to have a feast. My son was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. So they're having the party, and Big Brother's out working in the field. And Big Brother comes in from the field, and he hears music and dancing, and he says uh, to one of the servants, what's going on? Oh, well, your brother's home and we're having a feast. Uh, he was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive and you should come in. Nope, not going in there. Dad comes out and he says, son, why won't you come in? Your brother was lost and now he's found. He's dead and now he's alive. That son of yours who squandered your wealth with loose living, throw a party for him and kill the fatted calf. You never even gave me a goat for a barbecue with my friends. And I've been here working like a dog for you all these years, doing everything you asked. But son, everything I have is yours. You are always with me. Your brother was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. So uh, Rob Bell, who... You know, at one time was the darling of the evangelical megachurch movement, um, but uh, has been brutally kicked out by his own tribe for daring to say, I don't believe some of the things we've been taught, mm. does a really nice job with this particular parable. And some of the things I borrowed from him and from other sources, uh, first of all, the Roman world worked on an axis of honor and shame. And the Jewish world worked on an axis of clean and unclean. Right, yeah. Everybody in this story starts out clean and honored. Everybody in this story except Big Brother ends up unclean and shamed. Oh, wow. When the son comes home, the only way the father can maintain his honor and cleanliness is to turn his back, shun his son. You are dead to me. Mm. But... He hitches up his robe and he runs 
which is dishonor for a patriarch. <laughs> they don't do that. He touches this child, which makes him automatically unclean because the child is unclean. Right. Because he's been in a foreign country, because he's worked with pigs, because lots of stuff, right? Right. The big brother is in an impossible situation. Actually, even he doesn't maintain all of his honor and cleanliness because by disobeying his father's request to come into the party, he dishonors himself. Oh. He's, he's in an impossible situation. Yeah. He either has to disobey his father's wishes or he has to become shamed and unclean by going into this party. Mm -hmm. The other thing that Rob Bell says that I always missed is the big big brother's small imagination because mm. a barbecued goat will feed a dozen or two people there's not a lot of meat on it and it's kind of stringy yeah whereas the fatted calf feeds 100 150 people this is a party for the whole village right mm -hmm. this child is not only being reconciled to the family he's being reconciled to the community right yeah so the thing with this story is everybody wants to put themselves, at least the average Christian wants to put themselves in the place of the younger son. Right. Right? Yeah. And I find especially church folks very often are in the role of the older son. Mm. They're missing out on the party that God has created in this amazing creation for us because of who they don't want to be associated with, yes. who they don't hang out with, who they're afraid of, who they think is sinful or other or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The important part of this story for me is that even when the big brother chooses not to come in, the father, we are told in the story is God, right? Sure, yeah. Comes out and... It's not begs, but but just gently encourages to come in. Mm -hmm. And there's all of these signs around that say, you know, choose now. It may be too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the picture I get in Scripture of God, and especially in this story Jesus tells, and the tradition I come from, you know, the Reformed tradition says that if anything in Scripture disagrees with Jesus, Jesus is right. Right. So if there's anything that has you convinced that you are somehow shut out of the kingdom of God, Jesus says that's wrong. Yeah. In this story, Jesus says it's never too late. God will keep trying to pull you in even if you choose to stay out. Yeah. And that's really powerful and really important especially for people who have been hurt by church, who have been told that they're going to hell, who have been told that they were born sinful, you know, uh, all of that is just nonsense. Yeah. And the fact that we're told that the Father is God, mm. God is willing to dishonor and shame themselves to bring one of us back in. Yeah is so powerful to me and has been for a long, long time. Um, you know, the, the parts of the church that are hateful and hurtful are loud, but they're not the whole church, right? Right. There are places 
where all of us can be welcomed. There are places where we will not be hurt again. There are places where we will be welcomed into the full life and leadership and, and given positions of, you know, authority even. Look at me. <laughs> I'm a genderqueer screw-up from way back <laughs> who has been called to this ministry yeah. to help people find their way back to the family, to the community. It's not just about coming back to God. It's about coming back to life, coming back, right? That's the whole line that Rob Bell says over and over and over again when he tells that story. He was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. Yeah. When we go away, whether it's because we've been hurt, which we should go away when we're hurt. Like, like if your church is hurting, you run. Yeah. Run fast, run far. If they're telling you you can't ask questions— or that your gender or sexuality precludes you from being in leadership or being visible in the church, run, because that's bad news. If they're telling you you can't speak because you're a woman, run, because that's yes. Bad news. We are called to be good news. Find a church that will affirm you and give you life. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, right? People are like, how can you be a Christian when so many Christians are so hateful and so hurtful? I'm like, because they're not the whole story. And they can take my Jesus from my cold, dead hands, honestly. Amen. Yes. <laughs> he does not belong to them. Also, you know, there's that whole thing about um, if you know your biology— if Jesus is really a virgin birth, he can't possibly have male chromosomes, right? <laughs> which makes him a trans dude. Yeah, and, and intersex as well. Right? Yeah, definitely something going on that he is not a cisgender, parasex person, for sure. Right. And, like, even as someone who's assigned male at birth or or as a trans dude, either way, he um is so gender nonconforming in his relationships right. and just the way he acts and like like that like that story of the father with two sons jesus didn't mind hanging out with people who would make him unclean yeah or doing things that would make him unclean right uh one of my seminary professors said jesus was technically shameless he operated outside that system of honor and shame yes yeah uh, there's a great comic by the naked pastor whose stuff is so good and so powerful where there are all these church folks drawing lines on the ground, and Jesus is there with this giant eraser wiping the lines away. Yeah, I've seen that one. I like that one. Which yeah. is so much what we are called to do, mm -hmm. right? Build bridges, wipe out the lines and the divisions, make the circle wider, make, you know, always find ways to include more and more people. The Reformed churches, which so many of us come from, churches that have split off some way from the Reformed branch. Mm -hmm. The Reformed churches had a concept way back in the 1500s, right after the Reformation, that we don't have the answers, right? This is the best. Right. A lot of the, the great confessions of faith, even like the Second Helvetic Confession, say things like, this is the best we can do with what we know now. Right. We expect that each new generation will improve upon this. Yes, yeah. 
So many churches are digging in, bunkering, and trying to get back to some perceived golden age. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and becoming more and more conservative and more and more dead. We're called to be a living thing, constantly reforming, constantly improving, constantly adding new information, right? Mm-hmm. Scripture is one piece. Tradition is one piece. Yeah. Our experience right here, right now, is also a piece. And our reason, using the brains that God gave us, is a piece. And when you have those four pieces together, we should always be moving the church forward, always be making it more Christ-like, not less. Right. Loving and including more people, not fewer. Yeah. Uh, this has been so much fun. I'm so excited that we finally were. We finally. We finally did the thing. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah. It's, it's glad. We, good, we finally made it work. Yeah. Blessings to you, my friend. You too. And blessings to all our listeners. Amen. Amen.